welcome to Forever Young Adult, a podcast where usually I, Aoife, and my friend Kira discuss young adult literature. Uh, Kira is sick this week, so instead I have gotten another person whose name begins with C, and I've got my dear friend Cam to tell me about a book that she's been trying to make me read for fucking ever, and I was like, you might as well do it on microphone. Hello, Cam. Hello. It's such a pleasure to be here. I'm such a I'm such a big fan of the show. What are your top three identifiable characteristics for our listeners? What are my top three identifiable characteristics? I like lesbians. I am one, and um, I don't know, man. I'm just I'm cool. This is that's one true thing about me is that I'm cool. That is true. Cam is a cool lesbian who plays guitar, so like... I play guitar very poorly. I feel that it's important that we mention that. Okay, but like, so does John Darnielle, and he's been making money off music for longer than I've been alive. That's so. true, also. This is the cool gay, this cool dyke-specifically takeover of the pod. Fuck yeah. Do you want to get right into it? Yeah, so... The book we are reading this month, or mm-hmm. that I have read many times, but also specifically in preparation for this pod, is uh, Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. Why'd you um, pick this book? So I picked this book because I love it to pieces. And um, I think most importantly, I have thought about it a great deal after finishing it. And I have gone mm-hmm. back to it and I have reread it and I have found, uh, you know, more to think about after repeated readings, which I think is probably one of the truest measures of quality for a work of fiction. Um, and uh, I found this book, I mean, and also, I mean, you know, it made me, you know, in, 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 in current Tumblr parlance, it made me feel shrimp emotions. It, 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 it was very, it was a very intense read. Um, I was very invested, um, and I very much, I, I definitely finished it, and I was, like, ravenous, and, like, I needed to know what happened next. And the and the second book wasn't out yet when I finished it. It is now, and actually, it's been recently announced that it's, um, you know, in, in kind of the author kind of pull a Tolkien, like, it's not going to be a trilogy mm. anymore. Um, there's going to be another book. Is um, that a Tolkien? Hopefully. Sh- yeah, because, you know, because he wrote the the... Because the Lord of the Rings was supposed to be like a tiny sequel to The Hobbit. And then he says, you know, the tale grew in the telling. Mm-hmm. I would have called it more of like a Stephanie Mayer or. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm actually I'm putting a fucking Twilight moratorium on this episode. My fucking podcast. I'm. You're on a YA <laughs> podcast now. Like we were like we were saying before we started recording, you need me for this one because you haven't read the book. So I call the shots. I have the power to mute you. This is my Zoom meeting and I yeah. can make people listen to 40 minutes of pure silence. Oh, uh, no, I mean, the book I'm going to read next for the pod is a fun little Surprise for the listeners who are listening to this one is I'm going to be reading Sinner by Maggie Steve Otter, which is like the fourth book hanging off the end of a trilogy because some of the characters didn't just have their arcs wound up neatly in the main three. So, you know, it happens. Sometimes projects yeah, it happens. grow in the telling. It's hard to like write stories, like to, to write like a narrative arc that like resolves itself neatly. Yep. 
um, there's really not a lot of works that do mm -hmm. it well that stick that landing and I would say probably almost all of them are like really very good overall so I think it's also a good measure of like quality for um, a work of fiction bad ending can fuck up the whole thing yeah for sure this is a 2019 book I believe um, and I found it in early 2020 while I was looking for books to do my thesis on I ended up not picking this one uh, but I did, you know, as soon as I saw it, think to myself, oh, I'm, I'm getting this one for myself, no matter what. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, um, I guess maybe a couple of things about the author. Yeah, of course. What is Tasman Muir's deal? Is this... No, Tamsin Muir is um, a New Zealand author mm -hmm. uh, who is, I believe, currently based in Oxford. Mm -hmm. Um, she is, I think, in her late twenties or early thirties, um, based on how she, you know, talks about growing up in the in the early two thousands. This is her first uh, full length novel. Mm -hmm. uh, she has written a number of uh, short stories and novella before that. But I have not read any mm -hmm. of them. Um, and uh, uh, this book was uh, a pretty big success, as far as I know. It was on several lists, several, you know, best of year lists and was nominated, um, was a finalist for the Hugo Award and the Nebula Award. Damn. Um, and at least the author was. I guess I'm just assuming that it was because of this book. It could be because um, she's on AO3. Could be because she's on AO3. How do you know that? Um, how do I know what? Because I know she's like, because she is like big on fan fiction, and this book has clearly oh, because is, is is strongly influenced by that. Ao3 as an archive won a Hugo Award, so I was joking that that could have been her Hugo Award. Oh, I see. No, but yeah, there is a definite connection there. Mm. This is very much an author that clearly kind of cut her teeth on fandom. Do you have any idea what fic, what fandom? Uh, Homestuck, I would, I believe. Um, I know nothing about Homestuck. Yeah, no, me either. But uh, apparently, there are there there are a lot of Homestuck references in this book, and a lot of characters. Well, not a lot of characters, but some characters are like yeah, vaguely based on it. I mean, good for her. All art is recreation. So if you can get your fanfic published, I love that. Uh, actually, we'll yeah, we'll we'll circle back to that particular statement, which I think is is relevant for some things in the book. Obviously, you know, the Muir is a lesbian. Of course. Um, as, you know, anyone could, would be able to tell mm -hmm. after reading this book. Um, so this is a, uh, I suppose you would call it a space fantasy. I, I thought it was classic fantasy from what I heard. Oh, no, it's extremely not. There's, um, okay. there's spaceships and space stations, but also, you know, necromancy and skeletons and ghosts and uh, sword fights. Okay, love it. Love it. Kind of Doctor Who, but not. It's much grittier and like more goth than Doctor Who, I would say. Uh, it's not, it doesn't have that kind of uh, plasticky, you know, endearingly cheesy um, sci-fi thing that Doctor Who does. Tell me about this gritty goth necromancy spaceship lesbian book then. Those are such good words. That's like not even a joke, but yeah. Okay. Um, that is what that is. Anyway, so... The protagonist of the book is the titular uh, Gideon the Ninth. Uh, Gideon, Gideon Nav is her first and last name. 
uh, and she is a, an indentured servant for the ninth house. Mm-hmm. Um, Are the numbers a coincidence there, or no? It's no. It's um. It's very much the whole kind of. So the the universe the the universe is structured around. There's nine houses mm-hmm. basically, um, meaning, uh, and each one is situated on a different planet. Mm-hmm. Kind of the whole, yeah, the entire society is structured around them. Um, everybody, you know, belongs to a house. It's a kind of feudal system, I guess. There's, I would say one of the things that uh, on my first, when I first finished this book, that I, I was really left wanting more world building info. This book has some, but it doesn't have as much as I wanted. It's it's tantalizing, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, and the second book delivers on that in spades. Okay. But yeah, it's basic. It's basically more or less feudal, mm-hmm. um, and they are all, um, all the nine houses are uh, swear fealty to uh, an immortal emperor. Mm-hmm. Gideon's eighteen. She's. I'm sorry. I already have so many questions about this. Can I give you like a quick kind of setup of the plot, and then you can? Uh, Gideon lives in the ninth house. She's a servant. The ninth house is like. Um, basically kind of a, sh- a shaft bored into the surface of a planet mm-hmm. and it's basically just full of nothing but crypts and bones and decrepit nuns love it and uh, uh, the only other person Gideon's age um, who is Harrow Hark the reverend daughter um, you know she's the daughter of the lord and lady of the house um, and Harrow Hark and Gideon have hated each other their whole lives sexy um, and they spend all of their available time basically fighting either physically or verbally or both gideon is just like a big strong girl but harrow hark is a necromancer so she can uh basically like conjure up like a bunch of skeletons from a single like knuckle bone and then have them wrestle gideon to the ground so she usually wins that's really advanced bullying i just gotta say though this is no way to run a society to have only two people who are like young it's a key conceit of the plot it it gets explored a lot there's reasons what sparks the plot is that the emperor sends out a call for um all the finest necromancers of the nine houses to come not to him but you know to come to to congregate Mm -hmm. um he won't be there but (laughs) you guys should all go over this place yeah no pretty much um but to become lictors which uh that's l-y-c-t-o-r someone who licks yeah, and uh, a lictor is a um, is the emperor's right hand, and they are also you know an immortal, uh, all powerful necromancer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then what happened to the last one? No, there's a there's a group of them. Mm-hmm. Apparently, you know they they can die in some ways, and over the last uh, ten thousand years, their ranks have been dwindling. So the emperor is sending out a call to kind of replenish uh, their ranks. Um, the thing is, every necromancer needs to have a cavalier. Um, a cavalier is a kind of uh, bodyguard uh, slash manservant. And there's this big, strong girl. Yeah. And, you know, the, the official cavalier primary of the ninth house is unavailable and also is just a, a very sad man who likes writing poetry much better than he does, like, sword fighting. He's not along for the ride. So Harrow offers Gideon a bargain. Uh, since Gideon is an unparalleled swordswoman, even at her you know, young age, if she escorts Harrow on this uh, adventure and helps her become a lictor, 
uh, Hera will grant Gideon her freedom mm-hmm. and let her leave the ninth house, which Gideon has been trying to do her whole life. And, um, you know, her escape attempts have all been cruelly stifled by Harrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes uh, with, you know, a lot of sadism to it, like waiting until the last possible moment to snatch it away from her. That's not nice. No, it's not very nice at all. So they arrive at uh, the first house, the seat of the emperor. Again, the emperor is not there. Can I ask you a bunch of context questions before we proceed? Yeah, sure. Who raised Gideon? Oh, just, you know, communally raised by the house. Okay. Uh, she has an almost quasi-surrogate parent in Naglamine, the captain of the guard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, she's an elderly military woman and, you know, did not provide much in, in, in the way of tender loving care. You said that most everyone in this society is a cranky old nun. Are the military people also cranky old nuns or are there like auxiliary people? The other the other houses have like normal age ranges. It's just the ninth house that's all very old people for reasons that are revealed later. Is it spoilery, the reasons? Um, I mean, originally... I believe it's 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 stated fairly early on that there was a uh, uh, case of uh, I believe it's called the crash mm-hmm. flu uh, back when Gideon and Harrow were very young that you know killed all the uh, children and, and and teens and mm-hmm. uh, kids of the house. Um, but you know it, it, it's revealed later that you know this is not the case. These nine feudal hierarchies. How long have they been exi- in existence? You said the immortal emperors. Yeah, ten thousand years is the t- is the time period that is mentioned very very frequently. It seems like um, actually, I believe the first sentence of the book is in the ten thousandth year of the, the the reign of the kindly emperor. Mm-hmm. I'm working on the assumption that this world is not being portrayed as kind of a future version of ours in any way but like kind of a completely fantasy-ish one, am I right? I can't confirm or deny that. Okay, so it's it's a world where maybe all of the f- secret necromancers we have have <laughs> decided to make a society. How, is everyone humanoid? Oh yeah, no, the, there's just, there's no aliens. Okay, okay. So There's ghosts, but no aliens. The world building is reminding me a little bit of Once in Future by AC Capetta and someone else, which Kira read for the pod. I'll have to check that out. I'm not familiar. It's a super futuristic sort of King Arthur myth with a bunch of queers. Love that. The reincarnation of King Arthur is a girl who was raised by two like spacefaring pirate wives, I think. That sounds good as hell. Yeah. The first book is a pretty closed world. Mm-hmm. Like, it's really just this setup mm-hmm. on the ninth house, and then everything else takes place at, at you know, Canaan House, the first house. It's like giant, decrepit palace. Okay. Um, so you don't really find out a lot about anywhere else. So is Gideon's indentured servitude because she had no parents? Yeah, she was an orphan, so the, the ninth house took her in, and they, you know, in exchange for raising her, she would have to be beholden to them are there normal free citizens of the ninth house 
Yeah, there's. Um, it seems to be mostly made up of like penitents and pilgrims and, and, and priests. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's it's very it's very there's a, there's a lot of Catholic imagery mm-hmm. in the ninth house and in the book overall. Um, it's um, we might maybe we'll talk about it later. Is there a space Jesus? Wow, uh, you're asking me a lot of you're asking me a, no you're asking me a lot of stuff that I would love to talk about and uh, um, a lot of it is in the second book. Pretty much all of it. And the second book is kind of a bombshell. It really drops a lot of stuff on you. So it's like, we have been introduced to these characters and their understanding of the world. And then... Yeah. Now just allow me to completely explode that. Yeah. Those characters are only realizing yeah. that shit. Because like, you'll have the creeping sense no, absolutely. of something's not right here. But you can currently, you can neither confirm nor deny the existence of Space Jesus. Yeah, exactly. What I will say is that the emperor is worshipped as a god, and you know when when people when people say you know oh my god and you know God saved me and and everything else they they mean the emperor. What happens when they arrive at the big like bone fight? Yeah, so Canaan House is um, a colossal and uh, a colossal palace in um, a state of absolute disrepair, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, the only people there are the other, um, the other seven Cavalier Necromancer pairs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's eight total because again, the first house is the house of the mm-hmm. emperor. Um, so there's the ninth house and then seven other mm-hmm. houses. Um, so all these Cavaliers and Necromancers, and then three weird priests, and then a whole bunch of you know skeleton servants that are just you know automatons basically. Okay. Um, and uh, it quickly becomes clear that they, um, all these, all these necromancers will not be given any clues to go on as to how, as to what the process of becoming a lictor is. Well, my guess is Hunger um, Games rules. Not really, it turns out. They, it's, uh, yeah, I believe it's, it's made clear uh, to them by the priests that they, it's, they don't, they don't have to like kill each other. Um, they can work together if they wish. Um, but of course, a, mo- a lot of them are not inclined to do mm-hmm. so. Some are. See, I'm real suspicious. I'm thinking this seems like a really great way to get the people who are most likely to have enough power to challenge your reign all in one convenient location with your three creepiest priests. Mm-hmm. They all begin exploring Canaan House, either you know together or separately. Uh, Harrow, by nature, is an intensely secretive person, so, you know, she refuses to help or accept help from anyone mm-hmm. and commands that Gideon just, you know, follow mm-hmm. her and actually forces her to take a vow of silence. Um, I mean, it's not its not a vow. She just tells Gideon not to talk to anybody. Um, and due to the Ninth House's reputation, people interpret it as her having taken a vow of silence. You guys are weird and culty. Uh, once they start to maybe unravel the mystery of how to become a lictor, people start dropping dead. Okay. Yeah, and they have to hopefully survive and also hopefully figure out how Hiro can become a lictor. The crux of this book is if the person that hates you the most out of anyone in the world is also the person that knows you best out of anyone in the world, perhaps better than you know yourself. Given this, what might happen if you were forced to work together for a common goal? So, 
at the start I was like oh they grew up really really fucking hating each other that's really sexy and then you told me some more details about what a horrible person Harrow was um and I was like maybe not sexy including like you know isolating Gideon from other people like that is not sexy that is in fact like an abuse behavior but it sounds like it is sexy yeah it this is a very smart book and the way that their relationship is portrayed even if in it's all, all it's like fucked fucked up mm-hmm. is um very smart and very compelling um it becomes clear that um harrow is you know dealing with a lot of shit of her mm-hmm. own like she she's been she's putting it on gideon which is not okay but she has also um been failed by the people around her in many key ways um yeah um i've got two thoughts yeah lay it on me one harrow reminds me just from your description of the sister in fleabag oh wow (laughs) well no because the thing about harrow is that she is not she's not like prim and proper like she herself is also pretty fucked up a big thing is that uh exerting yourself in the use of necromancy causes you to break out in blood sweat um it literally makes you sweat blood so harrow is for probably the majority of the book covered in like dried crusted blood um it's very cool and very gross yeah no do i actually do want to go back to um what you said that it's kind of a fucked up relationship and yeah i i I do want to make it clear this is this is not a book and there's actually um, there's a very good interview with the author um with the la review of books what you said was i want to make it very clear that this is not a book (laughs) (laughs) okay it's not just a book to me um but yeah the author you know says um that uh this is not you know it's not about you know oh can this can can this one person be like redeemed and forgiven for like the way that she has treated like this other person all her mm-hmm. life and like can we it's not about like kind of redeeming a single a, a one-way abusive relationship and kind of making it palatable which you know might sit might not sit well with a lot of people which i think is mm-hmm. fair um it's very much about the exchange of power between these two people and between and 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 them deciding to trust each other really the plot itself is the the world is like i said tantalizingly complex mm-hmm. and kind of compelling but the plot itself is pretty cut and dry yeah. like you know set up conflict resolution mm-hmm. so like i'm guessing this is kind of the first time that both harrow and gideon have interacted with people from the other houses yeah so even with gideon's silence they have to interact with these people and it has to change their idea of how the world works so what do they learn about the other houses during this process well probably the most important thing is i mean gideon does like start talking past a certain Mm -hmm. point you know once things are bad enough she's just like no fuck it um and but um the most important thing is that all these different cavalier necromancer pairs all have different relationships, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, like the fifth house, um, the cavalier and necromancer are husband and mm-hmm. wife. Um, the fourth house are two teenagers, uh, not like Gideon and Harrow, like almost mm-hmm. tweens. Gideon's like 
narration regularly describes them as like the ghastly teens, the wretched <laughs> teens, the abominable teens. Okay, so it's Lord of the Rings, but from Gandalf's point of view, when these two are married. Yeah. Something. Yeah, and also and also Gideon's like all of four years older than them. That is very accurate to being a seventeen year old having to interact with a thirteen year old. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, so the Cavalier Necromancer relationship is kind of the crucible through which Gideon and Hera's relationship is changed mm -hmm. and reforged into something different and better. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the uh, the sort of motto um, that 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 Cavaliers and Necromancers swear swear to each other um, when they are you know officially kind of sworn i guess what i mean what I'm, what's the word i'm looking for you know bound um in yeah bound or whatever by oath um what they say is one flesh one end that's christian um, marriage um yeah like i said this is a very this is a very catholic book but of course again gideon and harrow don't know that because they're not true you know gideon's not a true cavalier mm -hmm. she has none of the training and none of the etiquette she's just good with is the, the sword. bond like magical no, it's not. Or is it? Or is it? Oh, okay. In which case, Harrow's parents really fucking suck. <laughs> you should not put your kid yeah. in a maybe marriage without them knowing. A lot of the book is, yeah, them kind of discovering what this relationship is and what it might mean for them and what might mean that what they might mm -hmm. owe to each other. Or I guess at least it is for Gideon. The book is from Gideon's perspective. Mm -hmm. um, so... Uh, you only get kind of glimpses of Harrow's. I mean, there's many, many scenes in the book where Harrow's, um, where the narration makes it clear that um, other to other people, Harrow is, you know, a, a skull-faced mask of, you know, impassivity. Mm -hmm. Because also Gideon and Harrow always, like, always have face paint on that makes them look like skulls, like it's a Ninth House thing. You know, to everybody else, Harrow looks like she's completely stone-faced, but Gideon can tell, like, minutely what her emotions are. I'm just picturing these people like rocking up at this party and like none of the houses seem completely normal but this one's the you guys are the weird cults yeah the ninth house very much has like the reputation of being like weird cultists um and the the two protagonists are treated accordingly but like Gideon's just a big strong girl like who happens to have been raised yeah she also has sunglasses. A skull and sunglasses. Isn't yeah. that in another video game? Sorry. Homestuck isn't a video game. But it's <laughs> You're just talking to me, so you assume we're talking about video game. Yeah, you got me. <laughs> now, someone in Homestuck definitely has sunglasses, so I noticed that parallel. Sure. This world. Um, yeah, what else? Um... Oh, another thing I do want to talk about in this book is um, butchness yes. and Gideon as a butch protagonist, uh, because, you know, in that aspect, she is a rare gem, yeah. um, you know, the, li the likes of which I've maybe not, I probably haven't seen so far in a book or at least, you know, in a young adult book. Gideon, you know, she, you know, checks herself out in the mirror, you know, she fixes her mm -hmm. hair and goes, you know, gorgeous, hot, hell yeah. And, you know, she gladly, you know, flexes her arms, you know, to impress the, the, the wretched teens of the fourth. 
she develops, you know, a complicated relationship with uh, Dulcinea the Seventh, mm -hmm. necromancer of the Seventh House, who um, is very sick mm -hmm. and who always needs someone to like, you know, carry her places and stuff. Um, and you know, she flirts with Gideon a lot, and she says, "Tell me, Gideon Nav, are your biceps huge or just enormous?" <laughs> yes, yes, this is so good. It's very, very good. So Gideon's very confident, but, you know, she also gets into a lot of kind of weird, embarrassing moments with because she gets mm -hmm. flustered around, like, other women. Um, she checks out other women, like, pretty, you know, unashamedly. Like, she doesn't leer, of mm -hmm. course, but, like, in her, there's no shame in her internal monologue. Yeah. Um, um, Sick as hell. You know, she owns dirty magazines. How, everything you tell me about this world completely changes it for me though because when you mentioned mirrors earlier I was like okay so they have mirrors <laughs> and now I know that they have porno magazines as well wonderful yeah no it's not actually I guess addressed where she gets the, the dirty magazines but she does have them excellent I love this author for creating a butch protagonist and not making excuses for that she's not like yeah it's extremely unapologetic and actually i believe in the interview that i mentioned earlier there's um there's a bit where she says that gideon is very much the character that like she wrote for her 17 year old mm. self um and she says like you know you should be glad you know you, you guys should be glad that i'm not making her wear like all the horrible you know button-up shirts that i was wearing <laughs> at that age no because she has huge large enormous biceps and a sword and like armor yeah. instead uh what's the weapons technology like actually that seems relevant to gideon's life yeah for sure uh they seem to use exclusively swords there's no firearms or actually they find a firearm mm -hmm. in the depth of Ca in the depths of canaan house um and gideon recognizes it but um you know seems to consider it an antique okay um and it's mentioned that the the cohort which is like the mm -hmm. army of the nine houses um, is also composed of necromancers and like swordsmen mm -hmm. and swordswomen. It's very, it's very of, of, of itself. Like it's hard to classify it as, yeah, like a, like a, you know, clear cut space fantasy or, 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 or. I'm loving how Gideon is this butch fantasy and she, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to get at. Like, people often are like, okay, well, we can only really understand something like butchness in like our current context and we can't project it onto other things and we can't assume that, you know, queer identities were the same no, over yeah. other times and places. And the author was like, no, I, I, no, I have yeah, made just kind of a perfect character. Transposes like present day queer identities onto like kind of a constructed world without the baggage of like shame and-, and, and yeah and self-hatred and, 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 and judgment and, and social rejection. There doesn't seem to be any any homophobia in this universe. Which is an excellent um, thing to do in a book for teens, I Yeah, think. no, it's good. Um, I also, I guess the other thing that I can't believe I haven't mentioned yet is that this book is extremely funny. The prose is extremely snappy and the dialogue is really, really like witty and characters all speak in pretty distinct voices, but I'll, almost all of them manage to be funny and you know even the ones that aren't um, are funny because of the way that Gideon reacts to them um, 
but also, you know, with with the same, the book manages to also pull off, um, you know, kind of a higher register, mm. um, a more lyrical um, and intense kind of prose. And also does and also does horror, of course. There's a lot of like scary skeleton monsters and people getting like just completely wrecked. I mean, necromancy is like one, basically the foundational force of this this mm-hmm. setting, right? Um, and uh, uh, it seems to work in such a way that uh, each house specializes in a different kind of subset mm-hmm. of it. Uh, so Harrow is uh, a bone magician, uh, is what they refer to her as repeatedly. <laughs> And yeah, her main thing is, you know, controlling bone and creating skeletons and kind of making them move according to her whim. And she is notably talented in that, again, like she can make several skeleton, full-size skeletons from a single knuckle mm-hmm. bone or a single tooth, or um, which is remarked upon to be like a, you know, uncommon feat. Mm-hmm. But for example, you know, the third house is a house of flesh magicians, you know, they're more concerned with kind of the superficial appearance. And the fifth house are speakers to the dead. They summon ghosts. They all have the same basic kind of grounding, mm-hmm. but they specialize in different things. With a combination of those skill sets, would you be able to bring back a person who is dead and their personality? No, resurrection is not. It does resurrection is not on the okay. table. Um, you can bring back ghosts, mm-hmm. but um, seemingly only briefly to interrogate them about mm-hmm. stuff. Oh, um, or if you want to, you can actually, yeah, the, the reveal later on in the book that the skeleton servants of Canaan house are, uh, yeah, revenants bound to these skeletons. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why they move, um, with like a level of like control and, uh, uh smoothness that even Harrow remarks is like unprecedented. Um, so yeah, this is the, this act of like putting ghosts inside of skeletons to make them move like people is considered to be like unprecedented and clearly only some, something that only someone who is only pe- the people of the house of the emperor would be able to do spoilers from here on out cam what the fuck is happening in this world <laughs> uh so the reason there's no kids or teens in the ninth house is that um harrow's parents really needed a necromancer to continue the mm-hmm. line um but you know, you can't really guarantee that a necromancer will mm-hmm. be born. It's it does seem to be genetic, mm-hmm. uh, but but it's not like a hundred percent chance. Um, and they needed a good mm-hmm. one because of reasons. Um, they so what they did was they killed a thousand um, babies and put it into one baby. Yeah, two hundred, <laughs> except to be precise. Okay. Um, they killed two hundred kids. Um, from babies, Mm -hmm. like, fresh out of the womb, you know, in their cribs, to, you know, teenagers Mm -hmm. of, like, 16, 17 years old, uh, by pumping nerve gas into the vents of the ninth Mm -hmm. house. Um, and the, they did not, they didn't put their souls in Harrow, they just used the resulting burst of, uh, thanergy, death energy. Mm -hmm. Um, they harnessed that to, uh, uh, conceive Harrow and... As a result, Harrow was born with um, unparalleled necromantic power. Um, but the real kicker is that they told Harrow this. Oh, no. Um, basically, basically, as soon as she was old enough to understand speech. Okay. Um, 
fucked up. Intensely fucked up, but it's not that's that's mm -hmm. not all. Gideon was also one of those kids, and she didn't die. Um, she inhaled nerve gas, like you know, for the full for the amount of time that would kill everybody else, and she didn't die. Um, and you know what the fuck, basically. Yeah, that's that's not it's that's it's not explained why that is. Like the characters don't know. Huh. No, it's mentioned that they carefully measured out like the gas, uh, so that it would like kill all these different kids of different ages like at the same mm -hmm. time. Um. So the other thing is that it's mentioned early in the book that Hara's parents are dead. Um, and uh, that Harrow, however, has been puppeting them for years. Um, she just moves their corpses around and has told everybody that they have taken a vow of silence, um, which is a classic, you know, ninth house thing to do. She's really bad all at penitence. That. I hope she's really no, bad she's, at it. No, she's good at Well, actually, I believe it's mentioned that from, from she had to, like, you know, preserve their corpses. Mm -hmm. And so what Gideon says is from the, from the head up, they were fine, but mm -hmm. from the neck down, they were bad. Mm -hmm. uh, but you know they're always wearing spooky robes, so it's fine. We can weekend at Bernie's here. Yeah, it's extremely weekend at Bernie's. Uh, the reason they are dead is because. So the ninth house is built around something called the Lock Tomb, mm -hmm. which is also what the series gets its name for. Mm -hmm. It's the Lock Tomb, well, Earthwild trilogy mm -hmm. now series. Um, and in the in the Lock Tomb is the death of the emperor. The beast, the beast that he defeated once but cannot defeat twice, I believe is what it's called. The ninth house is all built around its whole like raison d'être is uh, to, you know, watch over the tomb mm -hmm. and make sure that no one ever opens it. When Harrow was ten, she opened it. Nice. And due to being, you know, an incredible necromancer, even at her tender age, she, you know, undid all the, you know lethal kind of wards and counter spells that were around it mm -hmm. and she peeked inside and Gideon saw her do that and tattled on her to her parents um because she was hoping that she could be the one to get her in the shit for once yeah. instead of like the usual mo which was that Hera would like pick on her and Gideon would like fire back and then her Hera's parents would punish Gideon mm -hmm. but not her but not Harrow. Mm -hmm. Um, so she goes and tells Harrow's parents, and what they do is... Die. They hang themselves. Okay. And they also give Harrow a length of rope um, and expect her to do the same. She doesn't. No, fuck that. Did Gideon understand what she was seeing? Oh, no, she doesn't see it. Okay. They, she tells them, they tell her to, uh, you know, leave the room. They summon Harrow. And then after a while, Gideon, you know, not outside, not hearing any uh, sounds of Harrow being, you know, mm -hmm. spanked or whatever, uh, goes in and just sees, you know, a 10-year-old child holding a length mm -hmm. of rope and then her par their pa her parents and also their cavalier mm -hmm. um, who have all hanged themselves. Okay. So, like, this all seems like super big, important revelations, but clearly the death didn't get out. So why what is in the tomb um is another thing so harrow looks inside the tomb and uh she tells gideon um this uh during the scene i believe after they've kind of 
fully kind of made their peace, mm-hmm. made peace with each other and kind of told each other what they mean to each other. But Harrow says, the reason I wanted to become a lictor and live forever is because I wanted, because inside the tomb there's a girl and uh, I've never seen anything so beautiful um, and I want to live forever in the hopes that maybe one day she'll wake up. Um, and uh, the exact nature of that girl is very mysterious and the second book expands upon it but it's yeah I mean it's it's really something it's all second book mm. stuff but it's um, it's very it's it's very weird um, and compelling do the people in all the other houses know what the purpose of the ninth house is oh they know what the purpose of the ninth house is what they don't know about is um, the child mm-hmm. murder or the fact that the tomb was opened which again is one another one of the reasons why Harrow is like such a intensely high strong and secretive person. I mean I told you she was like the sister in Fleabag and I'm right. I I yeah. did, it seems like such a stupid fucking plan. Like why didn't they just fuck a bunch instead? Like you've killed a generation of your society. No, yeah, no, it's a bad pl- it's I mean it worked, but um I I believe yep, yeah, once people find out about it they do comment upon what like incredibly awful and like cruel and stupid thing it is harrow's parents are like monty python-esque level of short-sighted and dumb and that's really fucking bleak yeah it's very it's extremely bleak and i would say many in many ways this this book and this series you know the second book as well is the story of um how these two teen girls have been like failed by the adults around them and like the society mm. around them um, and uh, yeah are there what age are the protagonists at the start of this book uh, 17 and 18 is there Haro is slightly yeah, younger because of the conceived by death thing is there like any trading intermarriage communication between the houses in general uh oh yeah no they there's definitely a lot of it's just that the ninth house are like weird hermits i was gonna say how Um, the hell do you keep up that charade if there's like a council that you're meant to attend or anything oh no not really Mm, no okay cool so they've been failed by their house and possibly by the whole world and a bunch of people have fucking died in this first place they've gone where they've met people who aren't part of the world which they've all been failed by what's the general like you said there's humor in it but like how and where Mm, i think Oh, it's there. Definitely, all these like facts of the mm-hmm. plot are very bleak. But the actual, I mean, the way the characters speak to each other, um, and also the way they interact when they're not fighting each other or you know being killed, the the characters are very memorable. You mm-hmm. know, the other like necros and calves, mm-hmm. um, and they're very likable by and large. Um, or even the well, some of them are like assholes, but like. Um, the ones that are the ones that aren't are 
um, very cool and likable. I would say the standout are the sixth house, mm-hmm. um, you know, composed of uh, Palamides Sextus, Sextus, who is um, possibly the only character who is kind of like shown as being Harrow's like intellectual equal, mm-hmm. um, who is uh, both fiercely intellectual but also feels fiercely moral. Mm-hmm. You know, where where Harrow is uh, pretty ruthless and. Um, he is always kind of calling for um, cooperation mm-hmm. and um, mutual help, but sh- but he is not depicted as naive mm-hmm. for doing so. And he is coupled with uh, his cavalier, Camilla, uh, who is uh, very serious and kind of long, lo- long-suffering from having to kind of attend his, her, um, you know, her necromancer. Mm. Does Gideon get to build relationships with other cavaliers and have a normal time. <laughs> she, you know, has kind of a weird sort of flirty relationship with uh, Dulcinea the Seventh, mm-hmm. um, who, um, however, spoilers, uh, turns out to be the killer. <gasps> um, because she is not Dulcinea the Seventh. She is Kidarea the First, one of the original lictors. Mm-hmm. Um, who infiltrated the meeting and the, is killing everybody in hopes of calling the emperor back to the first house, which would be bad for him for reasons that are not fully explained, which are, however, explained in the second book. Uh, but aside from that, Gideon, yeah, Gideon, you know, she talks, she she um, interacts with the other characters quite a bit. She, you know, is is very, very, very intensely affected when for the ones you know for the ones that die mm-hmm. um you're really not convincing me of the humor here cam i'm sorry like i'll take your word wow. for it but i mean you have to read it I know. like it's not i can't tell you oh there's a scene where like she, you know she sits on a pie <laughs> like it's it's about the way the characters yeah. speak and about the way the narration like presents itself okay okay what if I open a fucking random page and like give you like a good bit? Sure. Gideon puts on her clown nose, gets on a unicycle. Yeah. <laughs> How about this? Uh, the field and the flooring are, are a few micrometers apart. Maybe the ninth could make a very, very weeny construct to go through that gap, said the seventh helpfully. Harrow said, in bottom of the ocean tones, the ninth house has not practiced its art on weenie constructs. <laughs> okay. Okay, you've got me. I understand that now. <laughs> they all, all, most of the characters, certainly Gideon, um, speak in, in, in a very, very informal tone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they make liberal use of um, cuss words and everything. You know, it's, it's, it's the way the young people talk. Oh, this book has fucks in it? Yeah, there's a lot of fuck words in it. Not too many, but like... A realistic amount for a butch 18-year-old, for sure. The thing that I didn't like about this book is that uh, there's memes in it. There's memes in it? There's uh, memes in it. That ages a book badly. Th- that's, that's, that was absolutely my thought. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I guess I should be more explicit. You know, there's like, there's maybe, that I can recall, there's like maybe three or four of these in the whole book and Mm -hmm. it's like what 500 pages 
there's more in the second which I didn't like. Mm. Um, but, you know, sometimes, you know, a character will say, you know, well, we were learning common sense, she studied the blade. Um, and, you know, I didn't like it because it really took me out. Yeah. But uh, I have read uh, multiple interviews with the author where she says that she did it on purpose because all books are dated. It's impossible not to date a book. Um, and she kind of wanted to encapsulate a specific type of, of, of humor in this book that she feels owes a lot to, you know, the, 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 the kind of internet scenes where these memes prospered. It doesn't work for me. I can see how it works or how it fits at least with the same mindset that would yeah. allow you to bring 2019 queer identities into your fun goth space fantasy. Yeah. But yeah, that doesn't necessarily mean it works. And it, the example you gave, at least, I think won't break the book. Yeah, the, that one is, I think, one of the less strident ones. But it does break the book for now. Like, I agree with you that it would pull me out of a book. And I would almost prefer to read it in 30 years time when I wouldn't theoretically have that knowledge in my mind. The reason I found it like so baffling is that the prose is otherwise like extremely confident. Like I said, it's it's witty, it's um, you know, it's intense. It's it knows how to do like horror and mm-hmm. ten, you know, psychological tension. Um, so it it really seemed like kind of a, a a very skill a very skillful wordsmith like willingly shooting herself in the foot by But, you know, the fact that there's like a reasoning behind it you know, that it wasn't just like, oh, you know, let's put memes in, it'll be epic. You know, that that makes me at least respect it, Mm -hmm. even if it doesn't work for me. Yeah. So would that be your low light of the book? I would say that is my low light. I will also say this is a book that very much benefits from, like, repeated readings. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, there's mysteries in the plot, um, but also just, you know, once, once once you have those answers, like, a lot of stuff becomes kind of clearer stuff that happens early on and takes on new meaning mm. uh both in terms of like the pure like sequence of events of like who was doing what when where um, but also in terms of like kind of you know thematic resonance but yeah if it's a mystery book it, you can always get at least two good reads out of a mystery book i think yeah although i i will say there's also stuff that is um there's at least two bits in this book that made me like yell after having read the second book because of like very key stuff that is like foreshadowed pretty pretty clearly if you know what to look for and that's that's something that i personally always like you know when an author kind of seeds stuff Mm. um and shows you that they have stuff planned out what is your sidelight of this book what is the thing that's not necessarily like your very favorite bit but like what sticks with you Mm, you know, I thought about this a lot because because you mentioned it to me before the show, um, and I'm I'm really not sure. I guess I would probably say the Catholicism. Yeah. Because, like I said, the the, the ninth house is very much like structured after like the kind of I popular idea of like how mm-hmm. how like it's kind of like goth Catholicism. Yeah, Catholicism or more goth anyway. You know, I don't have a personal connection to that, um, but uh, it did stick out to me. But you do live in a place which I'm not going to name. 
What? <laughs> I live in Italy. I'm Italian. Please, God, the truth want, come out. I don't want to out you as an Italian. <laughs> but, like, y'all got Catholics there. But, yeah, I just thought it was interesting. And I think probably someone who um, has a more personal relationship to it, you know, who, you know, went to Catholic school or, mm-hmm. you know, grew up in a, in a, in a Catholic family or whatever. Um, I, you know, my family's not religious at all. I think someone might, you know, might have a different kind of take on it. Not take, but I, th- I think, you know, my, it might um, resonate with them. There might be, like, extra in-jokes that you wouldn't necessarily get. Mm, yeah, I think less about the in-jokes and more about, like, the atmosphere. Do these people have crosses and stuff? Uh, no, there's no crosses. There's no okay. Jesus. Okay. Hmm. You know, you asked me if there was space Jesus, and I said, you know, I couldn't confirm or deny that. Um, but there's no, you know, actual there, Jesus. Yeah, there's no cyber crucifix what's your highlight then what's the best thing about this book my highlight of this book is what anyone who has read this book will know what i mean when i say the pool scene um which is the scene where gideon and harrow kind of um i mean where harrow talks to gideon about what was in the tomb Mm -hmm. and and where, of course, more importantly, I can't believe it didn't mention that up top, but uh, where she explains to Gideon, you know, why all the kids died. Because mm-hmm. um, Gideon doesn't know. Um, and Gideon, you know, her first reaction is to, um, you know, tell Harrow that she's, she's, she's sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says, Harrow, I'm so sorry. And Harrow um, becomes extremely angry at this. Actually, I might actually just read it. Yeah. Um, Haro has just said, has just told Gideon about the child death and um, the fact that her parents expected her to kill herself after she opened the tomb. Um, And then it goes, Haro, said Gideon, and her voice caught. Haro, I'm so bloody sorry. Haro's eyes snapped wide open. The whites blazed like plasma. The black rings were blacker than the bottom of Jirber which is um, where the, you know, the name of the, the ninth house. Mm-hmm. Um, she waded through the water, snatched Gideon's wet shirt in her fists, and shook her with more violence than Gideon had ever thought her muscularly capable of. Her face was livid in its hate. Her loathing was a mortar. It was combustion. You apologize to me? She bellowed. You apologize to me now? You say that you're sorry when I have spent my life destroying you. You are my whipping girl. I hurt you because it was relief. I exist because my parents killed everyone and relegated you to a life of abject misery. And they would have killed you too and not given it a second's goddamn thought. I have spent your life trying to make you regret that you weren't dead. All because I regret that that I wasn't. I ate you alive and you have the temerity to tell me that you're sorry. I have tried to dismantle you, Gideon Nav. The ninth house poisoned you. We trod you underfoot. I took you to this killing field as my slave. You refuse to die, and you pity me. Strike me down. You've won. I lived my whole wretched life at your mercy, yours alone. And God knows I deserve to die at your hand. You are my only friend. I am undone without you. Um... Actually, I might just go, yeah, I'm just going to go to the end of it. Um, it's only a few more, a couple more paragraphs. Um, 
Gideon braced her shoulders against the weight of what she was about to do. She shed 18 years of living in the dark with a bunch of bad nuns. In the end, her job was surprisingly easy. She wrapped her arms around Harun Anagesimus and held her long and hard, like a scream. They both went into the water, and the world went dark and salty. The reverend daughter felt calm and limp, as was natural for one being ritually drowned. But when she realized that she was being hugged, she thrashed, as though her fingernails were being ripped from their beds. Gideon did not let go. After more than one mouthful of saline, they ended up huddled together in one corner of the shadowy pool, tangled up in each other's wet shirt sleeves. Gideon peeled Haru's head off her shoulder by the hair and beheld it, taking her inventory. Her point-boned, hateful little face, her woeful black brows, the bloodless bow of her lips. She examined the disdainful set of the jaw, the panic in the starless eyes. She pressed her mouth to the place where Haru's nose met the bone of her frontal sinus, and the sound that Harrow's made embarrassed oh my goodness, and the sound that Harrow made embarrassed them both. Too many words, said Gideon confidentially. How about these? One flesh, one end, bitch. The ninth house necromancer flushed nearly black. Gideon tilted her head up and caught her gaze. Say it, loser. One flesh, one end, Harrow repeated fumblingly, and then could say no more. Uh, yeah, I would say that's my standout moment from the book. Okay, yeah. <sighs> what a book, dude. It's a hell of a book. I'm glad you... I'm, I'm, I hope I've, I've managed to convey that. Oh. Yeah, it's fascinating. I can see what you mean about the the dynamics probably being familiar to someone who did like Catholic school or something but I think it's also just very probably school resonant in general because it's like oh I have been trying to make your life hell on purpose to make myself feel better and you have the gall to not only like survive that but through clearly you know a lot of changes throughout this book redress the power balance and not take revenge on me and perpetuate the cycle of violence and abuse fuck you and that's a really cool oh my god i'm gonna cry fuck me (laughs) (laughs) oh my god fuck i am not i mean i fucking fucking Garfield meme, you know, I am not immune to the pool scene, even after, like, having read it, like, a lot. Many, many times. When did the sequel come out? Uh, the sequel came out about a year ago. Okay. Um, and I believe the next book, uh, so the, it was, um, the conclusion to the trilogy was supposed to be the second book is Electo, uh, Harrow the Ninth. Mm-hmm. The conclusion was meant to be Electo the Ninth, uh, but uh, that got pushed back, mm-hmm. and the next book in the now series uh, is called Nona the Ninth and mm-hmm. is coming out, I believe, fall of next year. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm just wondering how many times you've reread the sequel as well. No, I've actually only read the sequel twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, once when it came out, um, and it was, no pun intended, a harrowing experience. Um, 
to the point that I d- it didn't actually pick it back up. I mean, it was good, but it was very intense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't have the same feeling of, um, you know, it doesn't end with emotional catharsis the way the first one does. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't have a, I had less of an incentive to pick it up mm-hmm. um, again. But I did reread it um, just recently, um, this month. And um, it's, I would say, even more impressive than the first one. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's much it's much less conventional in terms of plot and in terms of. Thank you for telling me about this book. Oh, it was my pleasure. Even just like the snippets and bits that I have learned about it, in your telling, are a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a lot. Powerful. Um, well, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. I cannot promise you that I will read this book anytime soon because. But you, but you, but you would like to read it. I would. Oh, that's really that's all yeah. I wanted. Honestly, <laughs> I could. This was this has been a success. I can say now. I can I can see me reading it within the year. Like obviously, I'm not entirely in control of my own actions, but. Well, who is? I'm exactly. Um, but I am certainly. Like, if I see this on a shelf, I am picking it up and taking it with me. Lovely. Um, So thank you for introducing me to this amazing world and these amazing characters. If any of you guys have read Gideon the Ninth, or in fact, if you are patrons and want to use your powers as patrons to actually force me to read it, then you can do that at patreon.com forward slash foreveryapod if you want to just berate me in a more conventional fashion you can do that on twitter at twitter.com forward slash foreveryapod please don't berate my friend Aoife that's my plea to you if you want to go on twitter and tell me very nice things which is what everyone uses twitter for always that is at foreveryapod we're also on instagram at foreveryapodcast and I mean yeah leave reviews if you want Tell Cam how amazing she is and what a good job she did telling us about this book and making me want to read it now. That's all from us. Thank you, Cam, for recording with me. I'll talk to you guys in two weeks. Bye. Goodbye. Forever young adult of the podcast room. The outro music has happened and you're still here. I think you want to follow us on Twitter. Yeah, you can find us there at ForeverYAPod. And on Instagram at ForeverYAPod. You can also email us at ForeverYAPod. And if you really, really like what you're hearing, you can contribute to our Patreon, which you can find at ForeverYAPod. Also, don't forget to like and subscribe. Also, if you are listening on iTunes, please leave us a review. We love you. Talk to you in two weeks. Bye.